fell right down that rabbit hole So reality is questionable Try but you just can't let it go These two right here put on the show It's paranormal overload with southern hospitality Haunted murder mayhem tip while discussing immortality Locations with a dark past History that comes to life Hillbillies with a knack for Everything that goes bump at night Overthinking if you by yourself These two will have you turning on the lights Mixing in a little comedy to make sure it all fits in just right hey. Welcome to Hillbilly Horror Story Now here's your hosts Jerry and Tracy Paul Tender Dog Ninja Sometimes they're cat Freddy, but never the ferrets. Hey, this is Nick Roth, and you're listening to Hillbilly Horror Stories. Hey guys, welcome to episode 317 of Hillbilly Horror Stories, and this is our six-year anniversary. Exactly wow. six years to today. I'll be dang. Hey guys. Happy anniversary, honey bunny. Thank you. It has been a long and very enjoyable ride, starting all the way from the days that me and Ricky came up with the idea mm-hmm. and sat down to do that first episode, which was absolutely horrible when it came to sound quality and our <laughs> mic awareness and lip sounds and everything else. And if you don't believe me, at the end of this episode, I'm going to include... The very first episode, unedited, so there will be some language, but you will hear how bad the sound quality was and how awkward we, we were on the mic. Well, it's just all a part of learning and growing, hun. But it was an absolute blast, and uh, we thank you guys for uh, being along for the ride. Yeah, we couldn't do this without you guys, honestly. I mean, uh, seriously, if it wasn't for you guys, we wouldn't be here. So much love and many thanks to you all. Also, want to take a second to say happy birthday to Kevin. Uh, Kevin's birthday is the day before mine. He passed away 10 years ago next month. But uh, we started Hillbilly Horror Stories on the 21st as a tribute to Kevin. So, happy birthday, Kevin. Not a day goes by that I don't think of you at least once, brother. Rest easy. Tracy, as always, we want to start off by thanking all of our military and civil servants that are members of our allied forces all over the world, no matter which country you represent, thanks to everything you guys do for us every day. You guys are always in our hearts. We pray for you guys every day. Thank you for keeping our country safe. We love you. Also, we always lead into this, and it's a good time for me to point out that our show is sponsored by BetterHelp Online Therapy. And if you're going through some struggles for no matter what that situation may be, maybe you're going through a divorce, maybe you're going through financial problems, maybe you're just struggling through life and you don't know why. Sometimes depression just doesn't give you a reason. It just happens. True. But if you're going through some tough times, we urge you to talk to somebody. You can pick up the phone and call or text or email myself or Tracy. We urge you to join our group if you're not already a member. Hillbilly Horror Stories on Facebook. There's 5,500 people in there that are more than welcome to lend an ear and be super supportive no matter what you're going through. They're always there for you day or night. That's the good part about it. Most of us might be asleep, but in other parts of the world, people are up. So there's always somebody to turn to if you need to talk. Yeah, People all over the world means there's always somebody there in every time zone. 
You can also call the crisis hotline at 988. You also can text them at 741-741. So there's all kinds of options for everybody out there, no matter what kind of help you need. We, you know, there's people there to answer your calls or just lend an ear or whatever you need. So please don't hesitate to do that because we're like, all here for you. Yeah, and like I said, if you want something that you want, would rather deal with professionals, then betterhelp.com slash hillbilly and you get 10% off your first month. Absolutely. All right, Tracy. So as we're recording this, we're getting ready for our live show for our sixth anniversary show. I know. I cannot believe it's been six years. Isn't that great? That's terrible. You know, it's it's what's really odd is that when I think back to three years ago, when we had our three-year anniversary with Tony Bruski in Lexington, mm-hmm. I can't believe that's literally been three years ago. I know. Time's just buzzing on by. But it's been a six great years, and we appreciate every single one of you. Yes, we, we get to do something that we love every single day for our job, and it's because of every one of you. Yes, and we just can't thank you guys enough because, like Jerry said, we would not be here or be doing this at all if it wasn't for you all. So much love. But we're getting ready for this. And, and Tracy, it used to be whenever we did a live event somewhere, we tried to do a story that was based either in that city or at least that state or that area. And we kind of got away from that. We started back doing that in Indianapolis. Uh-huh. So when we did the Indianapolis show, we did uh, Central State Hospital there. So I'm I'm looking for stories to do in West Virginia. Well, obviously, we're at the old hospital yeah on college hill we've already done that one mm-hmm. so i couldn't couldn't go back to that and i started looking and i think we've probably done more stories from the state of west virginia than maybe any state true so it made it a little tough to find a story that we already hadn't done did but you do it i did oh. i dug i dug deep and i found the berkeley springs castle nice and I think this is going to be a good story. It turned out to be a tad bit shorter than what I wanted it to be. So I looked around in that same area. Within an hour of there is Harper's Ferry, which is pretty haunted. So I got some stuff from Harper's Ferry, too. Oh, great. So two stories oh, from West Virginia. Nice. Good the, job, the Harper's Ferry is not as deep a dive. which I just basically touched on the haunted places there. But fascinating history in both places. So Tracy, also on this show... Ben Foster from Midnight in Kentucky. Now, we met those guys, even though it was completely different back then because they had different... Uh, Ben's still there, but the, his original host is no longer with the show. Okay. Show's still great. He's added some guest hosts, including his wife. Oh, great. Ben is a thought-provoking young <laughs> man. He's a musician, so I love that already. He's a singer, plays in a band, and... But... When we do this interview, you're you're going to hear, he just brings up stuff that I've never heard many people in the paranormal field bring up. No he kidding. He just has a lot of different ideas and ways of looking at stuff. Well, good. That's always good to have some different outlooks on things, yeah, you know? I, I found myself like thinking, huh, I never thought about that. Mm-hmm. And then he says something else, I'm like, huh, I never thought about that. Okay, great. But very thought-provoking. One of, one of my, the most thought-provoking interviews that we've done, I thought. So he's going to be on. You're going to love his show. Uh, they, they've been around almost as long as we have. Mm-hmm. So very cool. So let's talk about this castle. Tracy, most castles 
are built as fortresses. So they're designed to either prevent or to launch an invasion. Okay. But, you know, they're strategically placed to keep you safe and to be able to look out. That's basically every castle that's ever made is for that reason. It's not there just to look pretty, huh? No. No, Hmm. it's strategically placed. Gotcha. But Berkeley Springs Castle was a product of love. So we think. You'll see more when I get into it while I say that. Okay. So the castle is in the northern panhandle of West Virginia. Now, here's the fun part. The castle was built in 1885 by Colonel Samuel Taylor Suit. I think it's funny. His name's Taylor Suit. Oh, hey. How funny. He made it a replica of the Berkeley Castle in Bath, England, but half the size. So just he just that's half the scale of what that castle was. Now, before we get much further into the story of the actual castle, I want to talk a little bit about the town of Berkeley Springs. There are high mineral springs flowing all through this area, which is how it got its name. Mm-hmm. The average temperature of these springs is 74 degrees. That's about 25 degrees higher than normal groundwater. Okay. That sounds nice. Nice swimming. Mm-hmm. Also, the town was originally named Bath after the city in England. Well, there you go. And well, all ties together, don't yeah, it? Yeah, and this castle was mm-hmm. made least, from yeah. the castle that was in Bath. Mm-hmm. So, in the town's early days, there were horse racing and bathhouses, and some called this a modern-day Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, come on. All right, so back to the castle. Colonel Samuel Taylor Suit was a wealthy man who came from a wealthy family. But don't think that he lived off his family's name and money, though. He was a colonel in the Civil War for the Confederacy. He was a state senator in Maryland, as well as an entrepreneur. He made his money in distilleries. There you go. Good man. The 46-year-old soon met and fell in love with 17-year-old Rose Pelham. Now, she was the daughter of an Alabama congressman by the name of Charles Pelham. The story goes that Colonel Suit proposed to 17-year-old Rose, but she declined due to the huge age difference, which there was. It's 29 years. Oh, wow. Is there that many? She was 17. He was 46. Oh, dang. It's a little bit out there. Yeah. But five years later, they met again in the resort town of Berkeley Springs, West Virginia. Now, this is important to bring up at this point. Colonel Suit was born in 1832. He had amassed a fortune through investments and politics and his distillery. But by 1876, his life took a drastic turn for the worse. His Washington, D.C. mansion was destroyed by fire, and he had to file bankruptcy. Oh, man. That's not cool. He was unable to rebuild, and his second wife decided to divorce him. When he first met Rosa, he was broke. Keep in mind, she turned him down. Mm -hmm. Now, five years later, they meet in Berkeley Springs, and he was wealthy again. So now she was much more attracted to him. So keep in mind, the age difference was still exactly the same. Right. It's still 29 years. Mm -hmm. But, you know, she mentions to the colonel that she loves castles. So he said, okay, if you marry me, I'll build you a castle. They were married three days later. Wow, that's all it took was a castle? (laughs) That's all it took. (laughs) I ain't saying she's a gold digger, but she ain't messing with no broke, well, 
Anyways, let's just move along. In 1885, Colonel Suit bought the land, and the initial design was said to have been sketched out on a tablecloth at the Berkeley Springs Hotel by famed architect Alfred B. Mullet. And then construction started soon after. Colonel Suit planned on using the home as a seasonal haven away from his permanent residence in Washington, D.C. Just keep in mind, he was still a senator. Yes. So he referred to this as his cottage. Some people still refer to it as Samuel Taylor Suit Cottage. The media, though, saw it as a castle and a moniker stuck. And it, and it, it does look like a castle, obviously mm-hmm. so. I mean, that's what she wanted. Right. Unfortunately, Colonel Suit never saw the completion of the castle. He died after a brief illness in 1888. Oh. In the colonel's will, he required that the castle be completed in order for Rosa to claim her inheritance. Mm. Construction was completed, and in 1891, Rosa received the castle and the rest of the inheritance. Rosa became known for her lavish parties and crazy spending habits. (laughs) As you would probably imagine, she ran out of money and was forced out of the castle. And in 1916, she sold the castle to the bank. Well, that's a shame. Yeah, we'll get into a little more details about that. But Since Rosa's departure, the castle has been used for retreats, boys camp, a museum, and paranormal research. The castle started to fall in disrepair, as is always the case. And it was saved and restored by the owner, Andrew Goslin, in 2002. It's now privately owned by the Berkeley Castle Foundation. All right, so I'm going to point out that in September of 2000, the castle was auctioned off and was bought by some ghost hunters for $360,000. Yes, that's extremely cheap. That's what I was thinking, darn. Even in 2000, 360, I mean, this, if you see the house, it's awesome. I mean, it's got 12 rooms. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, it's not like some lavish mansion, but it's pretty it's damn pretty close. Cool. Yeah. Very good. Joe Hobart, he led the investor group that actually bought the castle back then, and he said, there are a lot of haunted places where you can rent rooms, but no, none of these places have a paranormal organization operating the facility where you can also stay. Apparently, it didn't work out because they now the, they don't run it anymore. So. Oh! No, because the other the other group bought it a couple of years later. Okay, okay. Foundation that takes care of it. As far as paranormal activity, phantom footsteps and laughter of children can be heard throughout. There are also loud crashes coming from upstairs. When the staff checks... Nothing has been disturbed. I wonder where the children came from. I don't know. I mean, she had kids and stuff through the house, but... Oh, she did. Yeah, they had other kids. We're going to get more into them, but um, I I didn't see anything about anything major. But there... Well, there there was one instance involving a child that may have something to do with that. We'll get to that coming up. Furniture is also moved around on a regular basis by unseen hands. The most haunted room is said to be the drawing room slash office that's up on the second floor. Back in 1993, several people witnessed a quill pen raise up in the air off a desk and spin around. Now, this was actually on a tour. So people were taking a tour. So 
um, the tour guide walks in and as they're in this room, they're all standing there talking and the tour guide's explaining, you know, what's going on like they always do in a tour. And on the desk, the quill pen, you know what I'm talking about, like the feather yeah. pen, mm -hmm. it raises up in the air as everybody's watching. It spins and then everybody in the room just ran the hell out. And some of them refused to finish the tour. Some of them just left, period. How cool would that yeah. be? Another strange anomaly in the castle is the strange power outages. They use this castle as an event space. Oddly, there have been several power outages during wedding ceremonies, but never during receptions or other events. The only time the power goes out or lights flicker or anything is during wedding ceremonies, period. Oh, man. I wonder what that connection is. Well, there's a few reasons for this, possibly. Depends on who you who you talk to on the okay because everybody's got a different opinion. There are some that think maybe just maybe the colonel's death may have been under a little more mysterious circumstances than originally thought. Oh, not a brief illness, huh? Well, some say that soon after Colonel Suit changed his will, leaving everything to Rosa, she poisoned him. It's also said that two of Rosa's lovers after the colonel also died mysterious deaths. We'll get into a little more of that later. The first one, though, is really strange because he and Rosa were climbing up a staircase, okay? Supposedly, they were arguing. He loses his balance, falls after climbing the staircase. He falls down and falls right on the tip of her parasol, her umbrella. And it stabs him in the chest. Well. Hmm. And there were no witnesses. That's her story. I guess uh, the end of that could penetrate, I guess. Oh, it, that's definitely what happened. He definitely had that thing shoved in his chest. There's no doubt that happened. The question is, did it happen the way she said that it happened? Mm -hmm. Did he fall down the steps while they were arguing and fall on it? Or did she maybe shove it in his chest and him happen to fall afterwards? Yeah. I'm I mean, getting not to like her too much. This is the late 1800s. It's not like they had the forensic studies back then. They And no witnesses is what it is. The other, the other lover is said to have fallen off of the roof. What the heck was he doing up there? And there was no witnesses to that either. I don't know what he was doing up there. But here's the other thing. It's not really a child so much, but it, her teenage daughter died that same year as the guy that fell off the roof. And some people think that could have been mysterious circumstances. She wouldn't have killed her own daughter, would she? People do it all the time. Well, Sadly. I don't know anybody that does it. You might not know anybody. Well, I mean, I know. I know. <laughs> I guess that's true. I guess I just don't want to believe all that stuff. Yeah, I mean, there was a famous woman... Uh, I can't remember who it was right off the bat, but she she was killed all kinds of lovers and everything. But she also had like four or five kids that died and she was killing them off one by one to collect the insurance policies on them. This was back in like the 20s or 30s. So, yeah, people are not right in the head, to say the least. But anyway, it's possible that these three men, the colonel and the two boyfriends, Maybe they have a situation where they just don't want people to get married or don't think they should get married because mm -hmm. they don't like uh, what happened to them in their relationships. And they're probably telling them, eh, maybe you should just do something else instead of getting married. Regardless, 
of the outages, the three are said to walk the halls of the castle in the afterlife. So they all three supposedly haunt the place. But maybe that daughter that died is the child's laughter you hear. Could she, was be. A, she was a teenager, mm-hmm. but that could have been 13, 14 and mm-hmm. could still come across as a child. But supposedly the guys, the three guys that haunt the castle, they're just trying to make their story known as to what really happened mm-hmm. to them. Well, I mean, I'll blame them. I'd be getting back at her, too. Others say that Rosa haunts the castle. She's doomed to spend eternity in the home that she pretty much screwed her husband out of, swindled him out of. Mm-hmm. Now, as far as the colonel, he's said to haunt the library in the ballroom. He also likes to hide behind uh, an unopened door up on the second floor at the end of the hallway. I don't know if they know how he's hiding if it's an unopened door. True story. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about Rosa. She definitely may have had some moral issues. First of all, most believe that she gave Colonel Suit an ultimatum. So remember when I said it was the castle was built out of love? Mm-hmm. Maybe. Oh, okay. Maybe. Because most believe that she actually gave Colonel Suit an ultimatum. I'll marry you if and only if you build me a castle. So the story that if you go to their actual website, the castle's website, they will say that he found out about her, found out about her fondness of the castles, so he offered. But most people say the story is really she said, "Well, if you want me to marry you, you need to build me a castle. If you build me a castle, I'll marry you." So he he gave in and said yes. So he didn't waste no time either. No, and if that's the case, that's really kind of that's a shitty way to do somebody. Yes. Potty mouth. I'm sorry. Anyway, a poopy way. <laughs> so we mentioned that she had no interest in him when he was broke because of the age difference. And now, all of a sudden, five years later, when he's again wealthy with the same age difference, she's willing to marry him. It, it just sounds a lot like yeah. it was money based. Then there's the mysterious deaths that surround her. Now, we talked about her lavish lifestyle. And her extensive spending habits had her run through all of her inheritance way before she probably should have. I wonder how much that was. I don't know. Dang. But she had no money coming in other than what her inheritance was. Since she was still spending it like it was never going to run out. Just how lavish was her spending? Well, (laughs) she continued to throw huge parties, oftentimes bringing in her guests by railway cars. And she paid for it. She also would have the most expensive bands to play these parties. It's like, you don't have to have that big of a party. No, definitely you not. You could have a lesser expensive band. It's not like they had good music back then. <laughs> well, you don't know. I do know. It's 1800s, late 1800s. Yeah, no ACDC I mean, was, or anything yeah, like that. nothing like that. I mean, it was just band music. So, I mean, Mozart and all that stuff or something you'd see on Little House on the Prairies. You don't exactly need the best bands in the world to play that. <laughs> anyway. Eventually, she lost most of her friends, and she became hated by everyone in Berkeley Springs. Well, that's a horrible life to live. She became a recluse, and she started to throw rocks at anybody who would come onto her property. There are reports that she became obsessed with the occult and black magic. No kidding. I wonder how that went about. Well, it actually started during her party days. She would have gypsy fortune tellers for her entertainment at these parties. They would even 
have seances late into the night after the parties. Well, maybe she should have utilized one of those fortune tellers for hers to see what's up. After her money ran out, the occult started to take over her life. Some of her closest neighbors started to refer to her even as a witch. Yikes, that's not a good sign back in the day. <laughs> no. Of course, with a town of 700 people, which is all that's in Berkeley, uh, the word quickly spread that she was a witch. Others in town thought that Rosa had just gone insane. And after running through her inheritance, Rosa took out a mortgage on the castle. But in 1898, she had gotten $4,000 behind and was forced to rent out rooms inside the castle. So trying to recoup. I can't, I can't even begin to think, even renting out rooms, how you could try to make up $4,000 back in 1898. That I have no clue. I mean, in the 1960s, you could buy a whole house for $4,000. Yeah. So. Yeah, she had to work cut out for her. She rented out rooms until 1916 when the bank finally foreclosed on her. Rosa and her two children moved to a small cottage near the castle, and she remained there until she passed away. With all the strange deaths and possible occult activity, it's not surprising that the castle has so much unusual activity happening there. So we mentioned the phantom footsteps earlier. The nighttime cleaning crew says that they will hear them in the hallways and in rooms that no one is in. In fact, it happens so often that the veterans on the cleaning staff don't even pay attention to it. The new workers, though, they still get freaked out by it. And what about those crashes mm -hmm. that they heard up on the second floor? One worker said it sounded as if someone was literally throwing furniture around. But when they checked the place out... There was nothing out of, place. out of its spot. Many of the employees have quit their jobs because of the paranormal activity inside the castle. One of the other strange occurrences here is the sound of what seems to be Native American chanting coming from the start of the woods on the castle grounds. Well, there you go. Maybe that's what started all of that. You never know. Many have also claimed to hear moans of what the staff has called the crying woman. Now, the story behind this is that there was a woman who was killed in a hit-and-run accident while she was waiting in front of the hotel by car. Mm -hmm. And apparently she died, and people see her out there sometimes. Yeah. A recent visitor to the castle said that she walked into the dining room all alone. She was shocked to see another woman's reflection behind her in the mirror. So the woman said that she looked out of place, this woman. Mm -hmm. She said not just her not just her face or clothes, just all around. She just looked out of place. She quickly turned around, but there was no one there. Now, see, I think that would scare me more than just actually seeing a whole person stand in front of me like that. I think that would, to see somebody else in the mirror behind me, that would be it for me. But Tracy, that's the story of the Berkeley Springs Castle. Yeah. Well, it's a shame it ended up how it did. I mean, she had somebody that truly loved her and was doing things for her, and then she turned out to be a biatch. And I'm not sure if you can actually visit now. I think you can. That would be so at, cool. At one point, it was like $5 to get in and tour mm -hmm. the, the place. Mm -hmm. but that yeah. was like in the 90s or mm -hmm. something like that. So I'm not sure. Maybe, so, uh, well, somebody out there listening will be able to tell me because yeah. 
I've had some of the strangest. You know, we just did that story in Whitby, England, and mm-hmm. it's the next day somebody wrote me and said, "Hey, me and my husband are going to be in Whitby next week." Get out of here. Yeah. So I mean, it's just what the heck. It don't matter what we talk about; somebody knows. Well, that's good. We love to know. That's, yeah. I mean, we appreciate you guys letting us know all that info. So that's amazing. I, I mean, I would hope it would still be. Yeah. Tour, you know, being able to be toured and stuff. So if you're in the area and you decide you want to visit and check out the castle, you may want to check out Harper's Ferry, West Virginia. Like I said, it's about an hour up the road and plenty of strange stories from that town. During the Civil War, Harper Ferry was the most northern boundary of the Confederacy. A ferry was first established there in 1733. Robert Harper bought the area. And in 1751, he actually bought 126 more acres of additional land so he could uh, start his own little business civilization there. Wow. Isn't that funny? That's so funny. Through the Civil War, Harper's Ferry changed hand eight times. Between, between, Well, the North would get it and the South would get it. Oh, okay. I see what you're saying. Okay. In 1963, the area was made a National Historic Park. The area saw lots of death during the Civil War, which may explain some of the strange happenings in town today. The ghost tour in the town claims to be the oldest ghost tour in North America. Nice. So that means they would be the first, the very first one to ever happen. The Harper's Ferry train tracks are said to host several different spirits. One of these is the ghost of Jenny. The story says that the dress she was wearing caught on fire. And in a panic, she ran out into the street too close to the train tracks where she was hit and killed by a passing train. And now that is really terrible timing. (laughs) Since her death, people have reported seeing a big ball of fire floating along the tracks. And this is usually accompanied by the screaming of a woman. Oh, man, just when you think you can get control of the fire, then you get hit by a train that's just that's what is that ship what's his name Shiplock. Shep. what's his name Shleprock. yeah <laughs> woo they said you can hear her screaming what do you think she's screaming my dress my, my dress. dress my, my dress, dress is, is on fire, fire. <laughs> Stop. An, another tale says that a nine-year-old girl was hit and killed on those same train tracks Damn. her apparition in a white dress has been seen along that same stretch. This is not the place to go. St. Peter Catholic Church was constructed in 1833. During the Civil War, it was used as a makeshift hospital. Many visitors have mentioned encounters with a ghostly soldier on the steps who basically just shouts, Thank God I'm saved. Oh. There's also a spectral priest who wanders around outside. Well, that's okay, right? I guess so. Disembodied voices and sounds of marching and horse hooves can be heard at many of the oldest buildings in Harper's Oh, Ferry. I bet. That'd be cool to hear. Yeah, till it's real. middle of the night. Oh, yeah, that would be so scary. Many visitors to the town speak of feeling like they were being followed and see shadow figures and orbs in broad daylight. How can you see an orb in daylight, I wonder? I guess maybe they were well, color? If, if you blew a bubble, like with 
Well, you know, I guess like you can. Like a wand and a bubble, you can, you can see, see that. that. Well, that's, that's very true. Sightings of ghostly soldiers from the Civil War, Union and Confederate, are commonly seen. At the Harper House, there have been encounters with an entity of a woman in 1800 clothing. Many think this is Rachel Harper, Robert's wife. Rachel was known to fill jars with money and valuables and then hide them around the property to kind of keep their fortune safe from the tax collector. Mm -hmm. Sadly, Rachel fell from a ladder and died from her injuries before telling anyone, even Robert, where the jars were hidden. So they literally had to dig up the whole yard to figure out where they were. I don't even know if they even knew that she was doing it. Oh, well, whoever got that land next, if they found them, woo I'll tell you, she should have had gutter helmet, and she wouldn't have been up on that ladder. Hadn't she seen those commercials? (laughs) (laughs) Therefore, it's suspected... (laughs) I got her helmet. It's it's suspected that her ghost hangs around trying to guard their wealth. Why don't she just tell them where it is? You'd think that would be the easy way out. Be like the ghost over in the other place. She, She tried to pick up a quill pen and shake it, just pick it up and write something. Yeah. Last but not least, the ghost of Hog Alley. The story goes here that there was a freed slave by the name of Dangerfield Newby. I love that name. He was murdered and left out for the hogs. Oh. During Brown Brown's raid, which was a, a raid that happened there, he's been seen walking about with a gruesome scar on his neck. Oh, I'm sorry, Dangerfield. And that's the story that we have for Harper's Ferry, West Virginia. You think pigs can eat you alive like that so fast because we eat pigs? I think they probably have no clue what we eat. Oh. But pigs just eat quick anyway, so that's the only way they know how to eat. Yeah, I guess that's true. But I feel like in their own little mind, they're like, you eat me, look what I'm going to (laughs) do. But they don't have that kind of mind. I know they they don't. don't. It's It's not like when they attacked you, you had to think of pork rinds and bacon in your hand. That's very true, but thank you for pork rinds and bacon. (laughs) Can say how delicious. All right. So we're going to take a quick sponsor break, and then Tracy will be back with the uh, some updates on our iTunes and stuff. You guys came through for us this week. Lots of brand new reviews and stuff. And then uh, we're going to listen to Ben Foster from Midnight in Kentucky. All right, guys, real quick, I want to say thanks to everyone who came out to the sixth anniversary show at the Old College on Hospital Hill with us and Serial Spirits. Wow, what a fun day. It was fun. It was a lot of fun. Got to meet a lot of new people, and it was uh, pretty awesome. That place is pretty creepy, actually. It is very creepy. <laughs> and the funny thing was, like, Annie Weebs, of course, her and Brendan Shea from Serial Spirits, they've investigated there before, and they said it was pretty active. Mm-hmm. So they brought a group there to investigate again last night. And her group got there early. And even before we even started the show, this was probably 12 o'clock, they had already been down in the basement and talked about they had seen shadow figures mm-hmm. down there. They did not waste any time, for no. sure. No. And then we left right after the show yesterday, because we had a three-hour drive back. And I talked to Annie last night at 8.30. They do it upright. I mean, they bring in a DVR system, uh, cameras all over the stairways and stuff set up. So, I mean, they, you know, we, we've done some stuff that's a lot lower level as far mm-hmm. as uh, not as much equipment. But they, they have a lot of top-notch equipment. 
And I talked to Annie last night at 8.30, and she said it had already been super active last night. Oh, nice. So I'm interested to see how it ended up and mm-hmm. what they ended up didn't. And I found out that we left our stand for our micro- uh, our uh, speaker. Oh, we did? Yeah. But how I got, the heck did we miss that? I, I, I remember after, he, after Brendan told me, I was like, oh, I, I knew exactly where it was. It was laying on that chair right up against the wall. But Oh, oh well. We've got three of them. So mm-hmm. we had... Uh, much like Tommy Lee, we had an extra legs. So <laughs> I know he didn't do that. We didn't. Uh, we don't have to have that. I told, I told him just hang on to it till we hook up for something else. We'll yeah. hook up for something. It so. was fun. They were, they were very good. Their story was heartbreaking and interesting, and it was just an all around great day. They did the story of the the missing soldered children from back in the forties. And if you guys have ever heard that story, it's it's a pretty well known story. So a lot of you know exactly what it is. It's the Children that went missing in the fire. There was five children, and the family looked for them basically forever. Most people, the fire department stuff, seem to think the children burned up in the fire. But there's a lot of uh, uh, people that think they didn't for lack of evidence. There's evidence. There's just not a lot of, you know, the bodies weren't there, and they really didn't find much bone, and the fire didn't burn hot enough to incinerate the bodies and all that stuff. But it's a really popular story, and they actually had a member of the Sauter family there. Mm-hmm. Uh, to talk about his experience growing up having that last name. Yeah. And, you know, pretty interesting because Joe Sauter, who was there, said that when he was, they were kids, they were told not to even use their last name most of the time. Right. Just because the name was, it had such a stigma to it back then. Hmm. Yeah. But it was fun. And thank everybody that came out for that. It was a pleasure meeting every one of you. Yep. It was an absolute blast. So, with that being said, our last live event that people can actually come to, we actually got one we're doing in a library in Kentucky, and that's going to be a free deal. But it's, like, it's in October when it gets closer. At the very end of October, I'll let people know. But our our next event is at Bobby Mackey's October 16th. Mm-hmm. So tickets are still available for that one. Much like this one, it does come with a full tour. Oh, nice. So, It'll be fun. If you've been to that show, you know something always happens there. Mm-hmm. Always. Mm-hmm. Somebody gets scratched or somebody gets sick. or Yep. So, I'll wait something. So, tickets are available for that on the website. Of course, we got the cruise in less than a month. Nice. And with that being said, we said we were going to give away some items. I said a t-shirt and what else did I say? Do you remember? A peach cobbler. A peach cobbler mix. Okay. So, and since it's our anniversary, we'll add a third. Oh, right. So, we'll do um, we'll do a t-shirt, a peach cobbler, and we'll do, um, we'll do a We'll do a, what do I got a bunch of? We'll do a jam of some sort. Okay. So a seedless blackberry. That's what mm, It's so delicious. Okay. With that being said, Tracy, let's start with the Patreons since that doesn't involve a drawing. Okay. Uh, we had Angie Hoagie. I hope I'm saying that right. Hoagie. I'm sorry, sorry Angie, if I mispronounced, honey. Melba Pierce and Paula Martins. Thank you guys so much for your support. We appreciate you guys more than you'll ever know. Um, we did have a lot of iTunes this week, and we're very thankful that you guys participated in that. It means a lot to us. Do you want me to read them? And then... Yes, because i got to pull up the uh, random number generator. Do you want me to say what number they are as yes. well? Okay. Yes. So number one is Madison Tackett. Number two is Beard of Doom. Three is Kelly West Texas Baby. Four is S and JC. Five is Little Red 84. Six is Mojo Lobster. Seven is Garfman 72. 
Eight is Dylan B96. Nine is Dunstan. I don't know. It's D-N-S-T-I-N. I was trying to figure it out, but my brain's too slow. <laughs> Number 10 is Movie Girl. Number 11 is Jolene. Number 12 is Kay Cummins. Number 13 is Angela B. Number 14 is The Giggle. And number 15 is Sherry in North Carolina. Nice. Yeah. Thank you guys for your awesome reviews. They were so sweet. We appreciate it. as, As we've done in the past, we'll go ahead and draw the winners now. When you hear your name, send us a message at hillbillyhorrorstories.com or you can message either one of us if you're friends with us on Facebook or something and just tell us your address. Who or how many are we doing? Three. Three? Oh, yay. So let's do for the t-shirt first. How many do we have overall? Uh, Fifteen. Fifteen. All right. First number. Work, darn it. Oh, I'm hitting the wrong thing. Hitting go instead of generate. <laughs> Number 14. The Giggle. All right, so write down that they're getting the shirt. So. Oh, yeah. I guess it would help. All right. All right, the next one is number four. S and JC. I didn't say it, but that's for the peach cobbler. Oh. Okay. And for the black seedless blackberry jelly. And if you and if you hear this and, and you send us a message... And you want a different jelly? Let me know. Yeah, I'll definitely. You, know oh, you don't of course. have to have the blackberry. Of course. Let you have your choice. So we'll just say a jelly. Number seven. Garfman72. All right. So there's your winners. Go cover the winners one more time. S and JC with the peach cobbler. Garfman72 with the jelly. And the gickle or geickle with the shirt. Nice. So... HillbillyHorrorStories at gmail.com or message any either one of us on social media. Yeah. Tell us who you are and address and we'll get it you out as soon as possible. Sounds good. And a t-shirt we'll let you pick out. Sounds good. So we'll just order it straight out the website and have it sent to you. So you can pick out if you so if you before you even write us, go to the website, hillbillyhorrorstories.com, go to the store and find the t-shirt that you want. And Perfect. let us know the color and all that or screenshot it, whatever makes it mm-hmm. And don't forget we're getting ready to hear Ben Foster from Midnight in Kentucky. You guys are going to love him. Right afterwards, the very first episode of Hillbilly Horror Stories with me and Ricky. And a lot of people haven't heard that because we took it down off the site a while ago. Mm-hmm. And then even uh, after that, a lot of people missed it because there was only 700 episodes that could be shown. So the first 100 and so episodes didn't get played. Until recently, when we were able to get a new um, hosting site where they can actually accommodate all of our episodes. Awesome. So let's listen to Ben Foster. Hey guys, I've got uh, Ben Foster on here from Midnight in Kentucky podcast. And Ben, we met in person for the first time. uh, CryptidCon, I think it was 2019. It was all right before COVID. Yep, and then we got to be on a panel together at the last CryptidCon uh, last yes. year. I'm sure you guys will be back this year. But you guys are from Kentucky, uh, yes. obviously. The name probably gives it away, Midnight <laughs> in Kentucky. But uh, you guys have a really fun show, 
And I, I thought it's high time we got you on. We've talked about this a couple of times and you know how it is. Everybody gets busy and absolutely thing leads to another. But uh, we, we luckily got you back on here now. So thanks for coming on. Absolutely, Jerry. Thank you so much for having me. Love the show. Uh, big fan of yours, of your writing. Um, so just happy to be here, man. Uh, and yeah, I think we have talked about one of us doing an interview with the other one since we met. So I'm glad we're finally getting to do it. <laughs> you know, it only took three years, you know, yeah, you know, that's a good time for me. <laughs> so let's talk a little bit, tell everybody if they haven't heard your show, give them a, a brief synopsis of, of how you would describe your show. So uh, we are a podcast, obviously based in Kentucky, uh, that centers around paranormal, supernatural, occult, um, and just weird stuff. Just you know, uh, out of the out of the ordinary things here in the bluegrass. Um, you know, jokingly, I don't know if you saw the meme, but there's the meme of Tiger Woods and uh, and uh, the John Daly. John Daly, thank you so much. Uh, and uh, you know. If if uh, Mysterious Universe and stuff they don't want you to know and those podcasts are Tiger Woods and we're deeply influenced by those guys, then we're kind of John David. <laughs> we do our own thing. Uh, you know, we get real deep into the stoner talk, as it were, you know, the philosophy and stuff behind what's happening uh, with this, with the phenomenon, with the stuff that's going on. Um, and, you know. For a long time as a kid you know, reading about UFOs, reading about, um, Sasquatch, reading about, um, all of this different phenomena, you know, you think, well, I don't live in Roswell, New Mexico. I don't live in, um, California where the, you know, the Patterson Gimlin film, you know, I don't live in these places, all this magic's happening at. And it took me a long time to realize, oh man, there's just as much weird stuff <laughs> happening in my backyard, if not more, than any of those like you know major paranormal areas so that's kind of what we're about we're devoted to digging up the weird stuff in kentucky well you know and and i always talk about it's funny you mention all these different places and what they've got going on but i mean when you figure like where we are we're in lexington mm -hmm. and you know we are literally an hour and a half away from waverly hills and an hourly yeah. uh, an hour away from bobby mackey's which yep. are two of the most well-known haunted locations in the yes. world. I Absolutely. mean, if you put a list of top 20 places in the world, both of those are going to make almost every one of them. Oh, absolutely. So, yeah. And then you got Somerset that became all the rage after Hellier came out. Yes. People and see, we live about 10 minutes from Somerset. We, we pretty much live in Somerset. So, uh, you know, I was watching Hellier and they were and, and all of a sudden Somerset's on there. And I'm like, this is literally my backyard. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a pretty cool place. And, and we've talked about uh, that might be something we, we need to contact you guys about uh, getting involved with. But uh, I mean, obviously, we've talked to Zach Bales about doing a show up yeah. there and coordinating it with his uh, uh, museum that he just opened up. And of course, you've got the Paranormal Museum that's that's already there. I yeah. mean, it's, you know, yeah. between all the, the hubbub that has been raised with Hellier, I think Somerset would actually be a cool show, especially with two different paranormal museums in town and you guys right there. I mean, I think we could make a hell of an event out there. 
oh man, we could do something really cool. And I've thought that for a long time. And, you know, um, there's also the Penny Royal podcast. And I would be remiss if I didn't give a shout out to these guys because they've done a lot for me, uh, which is all about Somerset, you know, and all about the weird stuff that's that's happened in Somerset. And uh, Nathan Isaacs is the host of it. And it's it's a, just a great show that that kind of delves into the folklore and stuff behind Somerset. And of course, like you said, you know, there's the Paranormal Museum. I know Zach's Museum is opening in like five days, I think. So there's just it's become a, a little happening spot for for weird stuff. And, you know, it's it's kind of happened. I don't want to say overnight because, of course, Kyle's been doing the museum for a while, mm-hmm. but it's just kind of kind of blew up all at once. You know, it's um, who would have thought that Somerset, Kentucky would have been one of one of those window areas like John Kill talks about with Point Pleasant and stuff, you know? <laughs> well, and then also, you know, people that are outside the area, they don't realize, I mean, Somerset is a destination place, especially in the summer because the lake is right there. I mean, yeah. it's, a, you know, uh, yep. what is it? Is that Lake Cumberland? That is like, yep, that's Lake Cumberland. Yeah. And man, there's all kinds of weird stuff that happens on that lake. <laughs> so yeah, it would be cool to put an event together in the summer because, uh, I know Zach was talking about uh, with his deal, he was going to put like, um, oh, what do you call it? Uh, Where people out like uh, looking for different objects and stuff. He's going to have a sheet. Like a scavenger hunt. Yeah, like a scavenger hunt. He's going to have a sheet of all these different things that you can go and do. So I thought, you know, we could, between two museums, a scavenger hunt, a live show in the lake. That's a hell of a summer activity. That sounds like a great show to me. That sounds like a convention of some type to me. (laughs) Talk a few minutes about your other host on uh, on Midnight in Kentucky. So when um, Steve originally the show started out as uh, myself and Stephen Clark, Stephen's still a huge part of the show. You know, um, we're we're the the me and him had taught had discussed this stuff and had uh, you know back in the early days of the internet went digging for UFO and alien photos and Sasquatch photos and all that. Um, but uh, unfortunately he had to step away last year and uh, like I was telling you before the show you know I was kind of at a loss for what to do because it you know it the heart of the show really was Stephen and I it was air conversations and uh, you know I tried the solo show thing and and man that's just hard talking to yourself is hard (laughs) so um so you know at the kitchen table in the morning when we're having coffee, Jamie and I, you know, this, this wild stuff, this, uh, you know, these, these tic-tac objects showing up, um, in Hawaii and, you know, the Navy chasing them. This was, this was a kitchen table talk for us. And it was, you know, we would, we would talk about it every morning, just getting ready and stuff. So I was like, well, you know, we have some really great conversations about this, my wife and I, and I was like, well, why couldn't we do an episode with Jamie? And then I've got a, I've got a really good friend named John Swanson who uh, himself is a, is a multi-time experiencer of the phenomena. And uh, him and I get into these conversations every Monday night when he comes over, we specifically set aside a time for him to come chill and us to get into to weird stuff. So I was like, well, you know, I do this with Jamie. I do this with John. Why can't we just mix it up, throw in a couple episodes with John and I talking about Kentucky's water monsters, Jamie and I talking about UFOs, and, uh, you know, it, it diversifies things a little bit. I like, I think that it, you know, gives the show a few different voices. It offers you a few different takes on these, on these things, which, you know, as any investigator knows, is very important, getting different people's takes on what's happening. 
Um, so we're, we're still kind of, um, kind of experimenting. Maybe there will be a few solo shows in the future. Um, I, I've just realized I started out, you know, really locked in with a formula and which was, which was great at the time. It's what we needed. And now I think, you know, we're kind of moving into this phase where I've gotten kind of loose with it. And I'm like, well, let's try something new. Maybe this week we just tell a story. Maybe this week we just, uh, you know, Jamie just talks about something for a while and I'm not even a part of it. You know, I just produce it. So we're trying different stuff. And, you know, I call it the Midnight Kentucky family because we really are. We've got such great patrons over on the Patreon that, you know, have reached out and, and wanted to help with stuff and, and just and just listeners who have reached out and, and you know, wanted to help with things. And so um it's weird how weird stuff brings people together. <laughs> and and I can definitely say if Midnight Kentucky has done nothing else, it has brought me together with some great people. So what year did you guys start? We started, oh man, you had to ask me some dates. <laughs> we started so the event that really got us going was when the New York Times released um, the the uh, UAP articles or the UFO articles, the big disclosure stuff. And uh, UFOs have kind of always been my, you know, heart interest. Of course, I'm interested in everything weird, but UFOs are really where it's always been at for me. And I had honestly kind of drifted away from studying, from research, and then they dropped that. And me and Steven started talking about it. And, you know, I started doing some digging and I started realizing just how weird. And I know that this sounds, you know, maybe naive to, to some more experienced paranormal researchers, but I honestly didn't really understand how weird the UFO phenomenon got until about, you know, until I started researching then. And me and Steven started having those conversations about, you know, um, just the the various aspects of, of the ufo phenomena and how it you know connects with maybe some the ghost phenomena and the sasquatch phenomena and that's when it really took off and that's when i was like man i want to put this on a microphone i want to talk about the really really weird stuff so so let's you, you mentioned something that actually i'm not aware of so mm -hmm. you can enlighten me a little bit you said something about kentucky water monsters yeah oh man tell me about a, a few of them you don't have to go into great detail because i'm sure you probably don't have it all etched in memory but tell me oh. about a couple of these that i may not have ever heard of i tell you man you work with you work on a show so long you almost do have the information etched in memory i'm sure you know i'm sure you know about that um but uh well when when i started researching kentucky water monsters you know, I immediately went to, and this is one of my favorite books in the world. I recommend it constantly. Mysterious Kentucky by Barton Newley. Um, it's a great book. It's got so much information in it about uh, various cryptids and various weird things that have happened around Kentucky. It's two volumes. Um, but when, when I started researching water monsters, you know, I thought, eh, maybe there's a few stories of a couple here and there around Kentucky. Yeah, it's like, 12 different water monsters <laughs> that are documented and you know have somewhat prolific stories behind them i mean somewhat you know um long histories of people seeing them um my personal favorite and i may be butchering this and i may get this story wrong but i think i'm right is um harry the harrington lake monster and uh, harry is described as an ill pig uh, an eel with a pig's face and snout 
Um, and Harry has has been seen one of the most um, one of the most talked about instances of Harry was actually a doctor uh, who lived right along the lakeshore said that he saw it swimming around all the time. Um, he said, you know, the only thing that makes it so mysterious is the fact that we don't know what it is. He said, if we didn't know what an alligator was, uh, you know, it would be just as terrifying. Um, so Harry is an interesting one. And, and one of the things John and I were talking about with Harry is an eel pig. If you think about that, you know, you've got the snout, you've got the ear standing up and you've got that tail. And uh, it just dawned on me when we were talking about Harry, how much that description kind of sounds like descriptions uh, in Japan or in China of, of dragons, uh, you know, of, of serpent like dragons. Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, that's, that's pretty interesting. So, uh, so there's Harry, there's, there's a few different ones. There's one story and I can't, um, I want to say this, the, I may be wrong on this, but I want to say it's the Sid Calk Lake monster. Um, and there's the story of this little girl who was out with her family in, I think, probably the mid-50s, maybe a little later than that. And they're walking through the woods by this lake, and they hear shouting. Um, and they walk up on these trucks that are unloading what she describes as, like, slimy blobs. Um, and, and it, of course these are military trucks and, uh, it's, you know, soldiers yelling at these things to get out and go on. Um, and then she says that her mother grabs her and hides her and that's when they start hearing shooting. So a pretty intense story. I don't know, you know, how much validity there is to it, but, uh, I like to believe in it because it's a good story. <laughs> so there's, there's quite a few different stories of like that, of water monsters in Kentucky. What's one of your favorite Kentucky stories overall, no matter what oh, it pertains to? That's a good question. Because sometimes yeah. people will say, oh, you're from Kentucky. Tell me about so-and-so. Or is So I don't know if you had a go-to when it came to Kentucky phenomena. You know, probably one of my favorite stories, and this is not necessarily paranormal. It's actually probably not paranormal, but... It kind of links in with the paranormal in a way um, is the story of Floyd Collins, uh, who was a cave explorer. Floyd Collins is my fourth cousin. No way. Yeah, that is wild, man. That is wild. How little synchronicities like that. Yeah. So I'm sure you know the story then of Floyd Collins. You probably know it better than I do. Um, of the cave explorer who was in Mammoth Cave. He, he gets trapped in this cavern. Uh, they can't get him out. They can't get to him. So uh, there's a there's a great song by Black Stone Cherry called The Ghost of Floyd Collins. And uh, in the beginning, there's kind of this guy talking and he says, yep, they just let him lay there and die because they couldn't get to him. You know, they couldn't they couldn't rescue him. Um, and from what I've heard, you know, they could talk to him. They could hear him. Everybody could, you know, and they kind of made a spectacle of it. You know, this man trapped in the cave, which probably not the best karma that you could do <laughs> making a spectacle of, of a dying person. Um, but that story to me, you know, is kind of the same as the Daniel Boone story of an adventurer coming here to, to seek out, you know, something new that nobody's ever seen. And honestly, that's kind of the spirit of Kentucky to me, not to get poetic and philosophic, but that's kind of the spirit of Kentucky uh, people seeking out, what lies just beyond 
what is known, you know. Um, and but the reason I say that Floyd Collins kind of links in with all this paranormal phenomena is, of course, you know, it, we're back to Hellier, uh, the caves in Kentucky, which the Mammoth Cave System runs all the way up. It's tributaries and, and things run all the way up to New York. And it's weird if you trace it, how many um, window areas or hot spots or whatever you want to call them, the Mammoth Cave System hits. Um, and, you know, there's I've, I've heard so many stories of people that will come to me and say, uh, oh, our mother used to tell us not to go to the cave or not to get around this certain cave because there's things that will come out of it and get us. <laughs> I mean, you know, regardless if if that's um, just folklore or if that's something real, the people that lived around these caves were terrified of whatever come out so terrified that, you know they told their children not to get around it because it'll take you into them. <laughs> so, uh, so the caves in Kentucky, I think are, are a collection of stories in a way that, um, that links to everything that's happened here. And, you know, I would argue that that continues to link on up into West Virginia and into the Adirondacks and all those places. Yeah. It's really not that hard to conceive that there could be something in the caves because, there's so much of the cave area that has never even been explored because you just can't yes. get to it. And, uh, you know, that's, that's one of the things that I will say, I had never even heard the notion of it until watching Hellier. And then it was like, you know, this kind of, it kind of makes sense that there could be yes. some kind of connection, especially when you start looking like the Hopkinsville goblins and, oh, you yeah. know, especially something small, because you think something small would be more likely oh, yeah. to be something in there because of the tight, passages and all that and, and you, you can just imagine the... oh you can just imagine going through one of those wet caves and one of those little goblins peeking around the corner at you you know what i mean it's it's i can just see it in my head <laughs> well i mean because you've got creatures in there you've got all those little uh shrimp and the fish yes. that have no eyes they're completely and those blind. things are they're freaky albino. too yeah yeah <laughs> that's freaky enough <laughs> But you had mentioned with Floyd Collins about how they, it was like a big spectacle. That was actually the very first media frenzy in the world. Really? So, yeah. They, they uh, because it was really at a time where they were just starting to have radio that they could, could go worldwide uh -huh. and, and all that. So yeah, people were set up out there. They were selling food and oh, uh, yeah. concessions and everything else out there. And it was just loads of reporters and people trying to help my great grandfather, which I wrote about in my book um because i know you've read the book yes but yes, my, yes. my great grandfather uh troy burnett that was his first cousin and uh he was actually one of the ones down there trying to help dig him out man how wild how, like that it's i mean i want to say a small world but it's it's coincidences like these that make me believe even more in the things that i believe <laughs> in. But, you know, in a way, I guess that's kind of um, I guess that's kind of a predecessor to what we do because they're there on the radio. They're talking about this man being trapped. Um, I've always wanted to do a show on Floyd Collins. I think eventually we'll, we'll get around to that just because it is such a such a great story. There's some stories to me that are not high strangeness or paranormal, but they're just so outlandish, I guess, in a way that it almost hits that same nerve for me, uh, you know, kind of like D.B. Cooper. That's one of those mm -hmm. stories, too. It's it's one of those things that you're just like, what happened? Like, what was that? Do you know? So we actually did a story on uh, Floyd Collins. Uh, we did put it out on Patreon. I don't know if I ever put it out on a regular feed yet, 
but we actually did the ghost of Mammoth Cave. And I added that. And I think that was the first story that I ever did that wasn't paranormal related. So, but it just kind of tied in and I thought it was a cool story. It definitely uh, wanted to cover it. Yeah. I'm glad somebody else thinks that too. I'm glad somebody else kind of feels that as well. (laughs) Yeah. It's a cool story. I mean, they were getting food close to him, but it was like literally within four feet of him. They thought it was getting to him, but it really wasn't. And when they actually found him, it was close enough. And then they, took his body and his body got taken. They were put that displayed in one of the caves. Somebody took his body and then they, yeah, it's just so much crazy stuff that went on with that. Man. How awful would that be to know that like food is like four feet from you and you're sitting there starving and you can get to it. You know, that's yeah. They they literally had somebody at the top of the hole talking to him the whole time. So Uh there was always contact, right. You know, but it was just, that you know. close and they couldn't reach yeah. it man jeez <clears throat> let me see your shirt is that a mothman shirt it absolutely is i've got that exact same shirt same color and everything <laughs> in my closet i picked this color specifically i was like you think i could pull off red jamie and she's like yeah it'll work so yeah because it's a heather favorite. kind of red it's a different kind of red it's got uh-huh. like a little gray mixed in with it or something yep 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 uh th- that's why and you know i specifically thought i was like Oh, well, we're doing Zoom. We're going to be on camera. He's going to see me. What shirt am I going to wear? I think about that stuff. And I was like, of course, my Mothman shirt. So it's funny that you called it out because specifically decided to wear it. Well, I could only see the the tip of the wings. And I was like, uh-huh. wait a minute. I know that shirt. <laughs> you can identify them by the tip of the wings. <laughs> yeah, we got I got that one at the, uh, the Mothman Museum when we mm-hmm. were in Point Pleasant doing a show. Yep. 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 That's actually where I got it. That museum is, is awesome. Point Pleasant is an awesome place. That Pleasant's phenomenal. Yeah, man. And there's something about it. There's something about like Point Pleasant and, um, uh, oh, there's a, there's a little site on beyond it. The Flatwoods, Flatwoods, uh, West. Oh yeah. 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 And both those places, you know, I like, there's a site here uh, in Stanford, just maybe 15 minutes away from me, where three women, one of the most prolific alien abductions in history. Yeah. Um, and you can drive that road and you can feel it. And, and I mean, I don't know, you know, maybe it's just me being, you know, hyper into this stuff and doing a show about it. But you can like you can feel the change in energy when you drive that road, just like when you get in point pleasant, like you feel it, I felt it. Like there's some type of weird vortex magic happening in point pleasant. And it's such a great place. Cause it's like Mayberry in a lot of ways, but then it's like Mayberry with a monster. <laughs> yeah. The Stanford UFO incident. Uh, that's, that's one that most uh, ufologists will point to as the most credible story with the most evidence. Yes, man. That story is just, whew there's so much to it too. You know, uh, one of my favorite aspects of that story is I think it was Mona. I may be wrong. One of the abductees, of course, they were all three women, uh, coming home from uh, a birthday dinner. Um, and one of them had lost a ring in the process. And I don't know why this is my favorite part of the story. It's kind of mundane now that I'm talking about it, but she had lost a ring during all of it. And, uh, six months to the day that she was abducted or that they were abducted, she walks out on her back porch and the ring is sitting there on a rail on her back porch. And I've always just thought that was the wildest, you know, little like that's almost like that, that end of the movie where it's like things have ended and then you walk outside, you know? 
Yeah, the whole story is kind of cool. Everything from, you know, their their memories of, of eventually kind of pulling over and then seeing the other car pull over. And so yes. they start remembering that, hey, when this happened now, we remember there was another car pulling over. We were all kind of out just looking into the field and, yes. and whatever this thing was. And yeah, it's a classic example of uh, missing time. And they yeah. all had places on their bodies where, uh, you know, marks of something that had happened, injuries that had taken yes. place. And so, yeah, it's a, it's a very cool story. A lot of good pictures out there of the injuries and, and the marks and stuff that were left. Yeah. And, you know, very similar to the Mothman, kind of wrapping Mothman into it. Um, one of their main injuries was um, conjunctivitis or pink eye. They had all three of them had pink eye when they got off. the uh, uh, Well, when they got when they came to when they came out of their missing time experience. And one of the most prevalent Mothman um, um, things is conjunctivitis. It's almost like your eyes can't handle seeing what you're seeing in a way, you know? So, well, since we've mentioned Mothman a couple of times, what's your thought on Mothman? Is it a cryptid? Is it something else? Is it interdimensional? Man, you know, I like to say, uh, I always give this little disclaimer that I don't know anything about anything. (laughs) I'm just as lost as anybody else in this. And, you know, I think that's a great way to approach these things. Um, Robert Anton Wilson's great quote about, um, I have a lot of suspicions, but no belief. And that's hard. You know, it's hard for human beings to, to have, to not believe in anything or, you know, to try and keep that belief. But my thoughts on Mothman and this is just one of these theories that I kind of play around with. Um, I kind of wonder if Mothman is not an interdimensional entity, but is not an interdimensional entity that is brought into reality by, um, I don't want to say negative energy, but uh, maybe chaotic or tumultuous or, um, you know, um, disastrous energy. Because I, I don't think that Mothman and, and I don't think that any of these uh, cryptids or, or inhumanoids or whatever, you know, whatever you want to call them are necessarily evil or are, um, you know, bad or, or malevolent. Uh, even even you know aliens in a way I'm, I'm not sure that they're exactly evil but i do think that um they traverse from our from our realm or our dimension uh based on energy if that makes sense and and what's happening in a time or place um and and what may be going on there and that being said you know i, I like to talk about time a lot i like to talk about how time as human beings perceive it is is not really time you know it's that's not really how it works we're kind of locked into our perception of time so i wonder if creatures like the mothman and um you know just just these various different things aren't some type of time entities you know how birds fly in the sky these things move through time um and the reason that it's so weird to us or the reason that you know, encounters with these things are so weird is because, you know, just like I said, we can't perceive time like they do, you know, just like we can't imagine what it would be like to fly, you know, we can't perceive these things moving through time, if that makes sense. So it sounds like you kind of believe the notion that maybe they show up like a 
people say that the Mothman showed up as a kind of an omen that there was going to be the bridge collapse. Same thing with the yeah. Blackbird of Chernobyl that it showed yes. up right before the disaster. So uh, what would be the point of them showing up? Because, I mean, it doesn't seem like they're actually trying to warn anybody. It'd be different if they were flapping around saying, hey, something's going right. to happen. But they just... It appears and nobody points the finger till until afterwards. So what would be the point of right. them showing up at those times, do you think? You know, I never I've I've given it a lot of thought, but I had never really nothing had ever really struck me until you just asked that question. And I wonder if in a way they're not um I, what are those in a fish tank, you know, the fish that eat the bottom, eat the Yeah, the little the sucker stuff. fish. Yeah, sucker fish. Thank you. That's what I was trying to think. I wonder if they're not like sucker fish for like this negative, awful stuff. I wonder if they kind of uh, feed off of this, this, um, these disasters like Chernobyl or, or the Point Pleasant Bridge collapse. Could be, could be more like vultures that, you know, they're just hanging around waiting for the, yes, for the disaster to happen because, you know, uh, vultures have a way of, seeing animals that are sick even though they haven't yes. passed yet and they'll just kind of follow them yeah and i mean what if they're just another version of that from a different dimension that's just like ah, something's getting ready to happen and i'll just wait my turn oh man i love that those are the type of theories that's that's the stuff i dig and you know that that kind of i love vultures vultures are my favorite animals just because very cool. they are man they're such cool animals and, you know, they deal in death. They're the death dealers in a lot of ways. And and they can see it. Just like you said, they know somehow that death is upon these things. So, yeah, I, I, I love that theory. That was a great theory. I dig that a lot. Interdimensional so, vultures. <laughs> so we're going to be in West Virginia this weekend uh, for our uh, live event at the yeah. old hospital on College Hill. So I'm looking forward to seeing that place. But West Virginia is so close to us. And I was telling Tracy oh, yeah. when we were looking at stories that West Virginia has so many great places, much like Kentucky. I mean, you got Trans-Allegheny, you've yep. got uh, Moundsville, you've got Point Pleasant with all the stuff that goes on there. Like you said, the, the Flatwoods, yep. uh, the monster. I mean, it's just so much going on in West Virginia. What do you think it is about that mountain area of, of Appalachia mm -hmm. that just causes so much stuff right there well and this is not my theory at all um but it's one that that i really like and i wish i knew whose theory it was because i would i would have them on the show because i think it's such a good a good theory um but um a lot of people talk about how when pangea broke apart you know when when everything was one mass of land and things began to drift, continental drift, when the continents began to drift, that those mountains that now run through West Virginia, you know, a, a lot of Kentucky, the roots run through Kentucky, um, up through Virginia, that kind of turn into the Adirondacks in a way, which has a lot, you know, uh, a lot of paranormal phenomena as well, that those mountains were the same mountains that run through like Ireland and Scotland and all of those places. And of course, you know, centuries ago and still to this day, those places have a lot of stories of the Fae and of crop circles and of, you know, uh, mysterious lights and, and haunts and everything, all the stuff that, that we talk about, just like 
uh, West Virginia, Virginia, Kentucky. And of course, you know, a lot of Scottish settlers and our Irish settlers came here to this region. So they, they brought their stories with them. They brought their, their ghosts with them in a lot of ways. Um, but you know, liminal spaces are a big thing for me as well. These places that humans may travel through, but you're never really meant to stay there. And mountains, if anything, are a liminal space in a lot of ways. And I think that these creatures, um, you know, that to the Scottish centuries ago were called the Fae, that today to us are called, you know, Greys or the Mothman or whatever, um, that they separate themselves or or whatever brings them into our dimension separates itself it's in a different place and generally that place is in a place like a mountain or a cave or you know somewhere uh mystical in a way and i think the reason that we think of these places as mystical is because our ancestors had mystical experience in these places with you know things of this nature uh, you know, and there's so many stories of, of, you know, mountain folk in West Virginia having these kind of encounters. And I think for a lot of people, they think of those people and they think of like Scottish Highlanders. And those are two very different things. But really, they're not so much, you know, they're, right. they're not different at all. And uh, in a lot of ways that that culture of the Fay folk and of, you know, uh, the fail come out of the mounds and take you off to wherever it, 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 it's just as much here in Appalachia as it ever was in, you know, these places that we mythologize like, uh, Stonehenge and, and Whitshire and, and across the, across the pond as it were. All right. I'm going to go rapid fire with you on a couple of things before we get out of here. All right, let's do it. <clears throat> Bigfoot. Yes or no? Yes. All right. Give me one one sentence on what you think Bigfoot is. Differently. And I don't want to say evolved, but it's the best word I got for it. Differently evolved humanoid from another dimension. Okay. So you do think it is from another dimension. Oh yeah, everything leads back to another dimension for me. <laughs> I love the dimensional. I was kidding. I was getting starting to gather that. <laughs> fae. Do you believe in the fae as in far as like fairy mounds and stuff like that? Because I'm you, you kind of threw Greys and uh Mothman and stuff in there. That's the first I've actually heard anybody throw those in with the fae. Because most people, when they think fae, they think little people uh, right. and, and things of that nature. Right. Um, so do you believe in Faye as far as elementals and fairies and uh, fairy mounds, that type of situation? No. Yes. Yes. Okay. Yes. And the reason I say that is because, um, you know, I, I think a lot of this phenomenon has to do with what people call magic. Uh, and I think that I think that the Fae definitely are involved in that whole realm of magic and of conjuring and things like that. So, yeah, for sure. <laughs> okay. And do you think that the Fae are everywhere or do you think they're in certain places like Iceland where they really get into it or in Europe? Uh -huh. Or do you think they're in my backyard? Both. Uh, you know, one of my favorite things is 
the fact that, well, we were just kind of talking about this, that humans can't perceive reality as it truly is, how we only see like 1% of reality. So that's terrifying to me. I'm thinking that all of a sudden I'm going to click over and be able to see all of it, kind of like they live. And there's going to be a six foot tall gray standing in my kitchen. You know what I mean? Um, but maybe those window areas are are maybe in Iceland where there are a lot of sightings that um, you can just see better. <laughs> Visibility is better. I could say that. Okay. All right. Ghost. Yes. Do they exist? Are they interdimensional? Are we going there with that? <laughs> you know, with ghosts, well, first of all, yes, we totally are. They are interdimensional. <laughs> uh, but uh, Whitley Strieber says something, you know, the, the big famous abductee of the 80s that wrote Communion. Uh, he said that one of the visitors told him something one time. They said, Whitley, everything that's happening to you has something to do with what you call death. And that has always stuck with me. And there's so many different like um, alien abductions and, and things that people see their dead loved ones. Um, so ghosts are a tricky one for me. I think I, I do think that death has a lot to do with all of these things in a way. Um, and, and maybe that's just because, you know, death is a switchover suddenly we start to see a lot better again you know all those all those uh blinders that we have on are suddenly released and and you're seeing grays and your dead loved ones and everything uh but yes i absolutely do believe in ghosts i'm i'm not exactly sure what they are but just like all of it you know it all plays into the phenomenon at large all of these weird things connect in in different ways what about demons yes with a caveat on demons, um, because I think that we give things names that really lock them into place. And ab there are absolutely malevolent entities, energetic entities, and we dealt with a few of those over the course of our investigations. But I'm not sure that they are, um, you know, satan's angels in a way or or uh up from hell again going back to it I, th I think maybe they're just denizens of this other realm and you know just like we have mass murderers here who's to say that there aren't these entities that that want to inflict pain and suffering yeah so i think maybe that's what demons are yeah i, I want to be honest with you we've had i don't know how many guests on over uh -huh. the years probably 150 or so oh yeah yeah and i don't know that i've ever been as intrigued by the answers to some of these questions as what i have been you you you're actually you've actually got me thinking in different ways that i've ever thought it's very oh, thought-provoking awesome man that touches my heart because honestly that's what we try and do that's what i want to do more than anything is just is just talk about the weird weird nature of this stuff like the really truly weird stuff and you know kind of realize because all of this like really digging into these things has really been a spiritual experience for me um and i say that because it's opened up so many different worlds and you know there's that old saying the older you get the more you realize what you don't know or that you don't know anything 
And man, all of this has, has shown me that nobody really knows anything about anything. And that's at once a great thing and a terrifying thing. Yeah. I've always said after six years of doing this, I still have more questions than I have answers. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And I'm not sure we're ever going to get the answers or maybe we get the answers, you know, uh, in that thing related to what we call death, but <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I like the questions. I like asking the questions. I would be sad if there were no more questions to ask. <laughs> All right. I got, I got one to end on. All right, let's do it. What's your thoughts on reincarnation? <sighs> All right. That's a, that's a good one. Whew, that's a good one. Um, so Part of me really, really believes it, that a soul or a spirit is one locked in thing and it, it travels over the years and it, and it collects stories. Um, and then another part of me, you know, wants to believe that there is, and, and both of these things could be true at the same time, um, that there is the collective unconscious or there's the collective spirit that we are all a part of. And, you know, I absolutely do believe that, that we are all one thing in a way that we are all the creature. Um, that being said though, uh, you know, it's almost, <laughs> it's almost like the matrix in a way, uh, you know, you, you play out, to me, you play out in this reality, whatever that spirit or that soul or that thing in that other place is having you play out. And I wonder sometimes if death itself won't be like, you know, a bad day at work and you're like, oh man, this was an awful day. Everything went wrong that could. And then you get in the door and you're like, hold up. I don't even care about that stuff. <laughs> That's the, I don't even care about work. Why am I so worried about it? So I wonder if after you die, you know, it's like, oh man, that was a life. But that wasn't ever me. I was I was up here playing the video game. So why am I even worried about that? And and you know, not why am I worried about that, but I took that way, way too seriously than I should have. Right. Uh, and you know. And when you flash back to that video game player, when you're that video game player, you're like, all right, well, you know, I could play another round. Let's put, put 50 more cents in and let me play a new round. I'll get it right this time. And, you know, you go off on a new game. And, and that may make it sound very trivial, but I think that that whole video game analogy is actually a very spiritual thing. I think that's that may be the collective unconscious, the collective soul, whatever collective soul, <laughs> uh, you know whatever just playing the game just just engaging with itself just being like you know because i think about this too and this this may be a bit blasphemous but oftentimes i think about how boring perfection would be and how and how boring it would be to be just absolutely one thing and i wonder if that perfection of whatever it is you know what some people would call God for lack of a more intricate term didn't decide one day, Hey, this is kind of boring. I want to play a video game. So they booted up earth <laughs> 1.0 and here we are. And we're all playing out our little characters and doing our thing. 
you know that was a long and rambling answer i'm sorry no but but it's it's, (laughs) no it's funny you say that because i mean there is a lot of people that believe in that theory that we're just part of a video game so to speak so yes yes it's not a new concept you know that I love the video game analogy, but you could swap it out for so many things. You know, you could say a TV show. You could say one of my favorite things, kind of linking this in to the paranormal and things. Uh, I, re- I spoke with Philip Mantle, renowned ufologist um, from, uh, I believe he's from somewhere in England. Forgive me, Philip, if you're listening to this. Great guy, though, um, has been integral into so much disclosure of the UFO phenomena. And he had a ufo abductee his whole family was abducted and he was taken back through regression therapy and they were driving one night and he said that up ahead in the road there was all this fog and it just come from out of nowhere so they drive through the fog and through regression he has memories of you know of course like what we were talking about with the stanford abduction the grays come into the windows and escorting them out of the car. And, um, but Philip, you know, he said, I, I went over the story again and again and again and again with him until eventually he said, well, you know, Philip, the best way I can describe it is like being in a TV show or a movie or, or watching a TV show. You know that the backstage is there. You know that there's cameras and lights and, you know, the director and all that. But when you watch the TV show, all you see is the story they want you to see. You just see the story as it is. And he said it was like the director suddenly yelled cut and the lights went up and you could see everybody around you and you could see the backstage area. And he was like, that's, you know, and and that description. And I actually think I told that story on the panel that we were on. Uh, somebody asked me what my favorite event was that I had heard about doing the podcast. And that story still sticks out to me because I love it so much. Just the fact that, you know, we're living these little lives and running to work and taking care of our kids. And maybe there's this whole backstage area with the director and the lots and, you know, who knows when they're going to yell cut. So you better live it up while you can and, you know, love your people and love your life. Cause Director's going to yell cut eventually, and it's all interdimensional vultures from there. (laughs) (laughs) Ben Foster, everybody from the Midnight in Kentucky podcast, go listen to him. Uh, Once you listen to a few episodes, you're going to want to leave him a five-star review. Make sure you tell him that you heard about him here on Hillbilly Horror Stories. Ben, thanks for coming on, buddy. Thank you so much, man. This has been great. How can uh, everybody keep up with the show? You guys got some social media and stuff they can follow? Yeah, uh, you know, our biggest social media is Facebook. I update it constantly. We do a lot of wild stuff over there. You know, sometimes it's paranormal stories from Kentucky. Sometimes it's memes that are funny about Mothman. So you may get anything over there. Um, but Facebook's our biggest social media. I always recommend the website, though. It's just midnightinkentucky.com. Everything we do, blog posts, new episodes, uh, Patreon previews, everything is at the website. You can listen to the show straight from there. Uh, and of course, you know, Spotify, um, Apple podcasts, all the normal places for podcasts were on all those. So means a lot. If you guys check us out, means a lot that you had me here today, Jerry. I really appreciate it. Love the show. Love you, man. Thank you so much. Now we appreciate it, man. This has been a very fun one. It's been, uh, I think a lot of people are really going to enjoy this one. So. Awesome. I'm so glad. Talk to you soon, brother. All right, man. Thanks so much. 
All right, guys, that wraps up this episode. Like I promised before, the first episode with uh, myself and Ricky will be coming up now. Like I said, I warned you, sound quality is absolutely horrible. There's a lot of uhs that didn't get cut out. A lot of, uh, there was some lip smacks. I did cut those out because I have an affinity for lip smacks. I know, so, and I'm the worst at it. So <laughs> Yes, and I'm so used to doing it with Tracy. that. But I realized there was a bunch of them with Ricky because Ricky a lot of times would have hard candy in his mouth. Oh, he was trying to quit uh-huh. smoking at the time. Uh-huh. And he had hard candy in his mouth, and that caused a lot of oh, excessive really? lip smacks. Oh. And I took out some of the hiss that of the background noise, so it would be a little more palatable. But if you can listen to it now, you would even uh, realize that when it originally aired, it was even worse than what it is when you're hearing it now. Remember, there is some language in here. And it's not real bad. I, I, re- I listened to it earlier today just to make sure. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's a couple of S-bombs. Uh, and that's about it. So I don't think there's any. I said S. shit on here a couple I'm, times. Oh, no, but I try to tell people not to. I know. Dang. <laughs> but Listen. anyway, so if you don't want to hear a couple of S bombs, it's about a 20 minute episode. It's uh, just uh, send the kitties out or something like that. Right. And again, we want to thank you guys so much from the bottom of our hearts for all your support through these years. I think. To this day, we still can't believe it. Honestly, we just can't. And we are just so humbled and, you know, I mean, I don't know what to say. We have made so many wonderful friends along this journey. And I hope we can continue it for years to come. But I'll be getting old here pretty soon and decrepit. So (laughs) we'll see how it goes. We love you all so, so much. Thank you again for everything you've done for us. Amen. Welcome to Hillbilly Horror Stories. Now please welcome your host, Jenny Party and Ricky Greninger. All right, and welcome everybody to the very first episode of Hillbilly Horror Stories. My name is Jerry Pauly, and I'm joined here with my co-host, Ricky Graninger. Say hi to the people, Rick. Hey, how you doing? We are as excited as shit to do this podcast. Well, well, I'm excited as shit. Ricky, are you excited as shit too? I'm shistastically excited. Okay, I just had to make sure. I don't want to overstep my bounds and just uh, speak for him. Uh, happy you guys joined us. I know we've been talking about this for a while. Please make sure you tell your friends about the show. That's how we're going to grow it. And uh, in order to keep us to keep doing what we're doing, we need to have some listeners out there. So if you like what you hear, tell your friends. If you don't like what you hear, tell them anyway. They don't need to know the truth. <laughs> So normally what's going to happen is every week we're going to pick a story and we're going to do stuff like anything from uh, Bobby Mackey's uh, to the Pope Lake Monster to the Mothman, which everybody's seen the movie probably. We're going to do a bunch of stories like that. But we figure for this first episode, since most of you don't have a clue who we are or why we're doing a paranormal broadcast, we would just have some, uh, some of our own personal stories, tell you a little bit about us while we're doing this, uh, what got us interested in the paranormal. So that's kind of what we're going to do. So without uh, further ado, I'm going to turn this over and, and talk to Ricky uh, a little bit. Ricky, you, we've known each other for a long time, and, and, and you've told me a bunch of stories that have happened to you. That's why uh, I thought you were going to be perfect for, to fill in for here. Um, so I figured I'd let you kind of start the show off and, and, and tell us 
Uh, I know you've got one really exciting story that, that's kind of your bread and butter of the paranormal, so to speak. So why don't you tell uh, the people about, about that story? All right, Jerry. Well, uh, I've been interested in the uh, paranormal since I was little. You know, little kids watching scary movies. You know, it all started, you know, excitement uh, until I actually had my own experience. Uh, me, I was young. Me and my brother would go camping with my dad uh, at a place called Point Lookouts in Maryland. It's a, uh, It was a Civil War camp back in the 1800s. And uh, I was a rebellious teenager, you know, smoking undercover. And Well, we were camping one night, and uh, I went off to have a smoke. And I was sitting at the edge of our campsite uh, where it was dark. You know, you couldn't see anything really. Um, uh, only light was the light of the campfire and not really thinking much. And here comes this guy walking past me, uh, dark. You really can't see him, but you know, he's kind of looks like he's wearing, you know, gray pants. He has no shoes on. You mean dark, like African-American or <laughs> just like dark in general, dark in general. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, he's got a leather strap going, you know, around across his chest and he's continued walking and before I even think about, you know, what the situation was, he walks off into the darkness. And the situation was, it was September, uh, towards the end of September, it was uh, it was quite chilly. You know, normal people don't camp, go camping that dark, but uh, we did. My dad loved camping. And uh, I started to think about it, and I started to uh, lose my shit because I realized that, you know, there's no other campers in this campsite. It's just us, you know. And more and more and think about it i started you know get really really you know nervous and scared as more i started to think about it the more it got weird to me because the very next morning me and my brother we go to the little ranger station and uh and i ask him and he says that there have been no no campers in two weeks prior to that there were no campers anywhere in the campsite um so, yeah, I mean, that was my experience. It it was pretty scary. And how old were you at this time? I was about 13. Oh, I could see why that would be. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, it is. I, I know what I saw, and, I mean, it wasn't just a corner of the eye thing. This guy walked past me, and I watched him walk for a good minute, minute and a half. So, Well, that's pretty messed up. Yeah. Yeah. So, but it was awesome. So did you like tell your dad what your thoughts were, or did you just like just dismiss that he wouldn't go believe you anyway? So there was no point in even mentioning it. No, I I did. After like I said, when the more and more I thought about it, I said, "Holy shit!" So I went, you know, I went in and told my dad, but he kind of, yeah, he was like, "Yeah, you know, how oh, that's pretty cool." But my dad, you know, he's had experiences too. He believes in it. So, but I guess for me, experience it, it stayed on my brain. That's why I went to the ranger station and and all that and asked them so so you you grew up in maryland so you're you're, you're kind of right in that civil war oh, area remember. so i mean you you've you've probably been to a oh, lot yeah. of those places yeah you got the antietam battlefield you got uh gettysburg which is you know a lot of a lot of paranormal activity there i've uh, read their address yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah but uh yeah the point lookout the place i was telling you about uh it also you know that that's a campground but the whole area was a uh it was a Civil War prison camp, and at the end of it, it's, you know, it's pretty much the point, one of the points of Maryland where uh, the bay meets the river. You know what I mean? And uh, it, it, there's a point, there's a lighthouse which is supposed to be, and you can look it up. It's supposed to be one of the haunted lighthouses in America. So, oh, pretty that's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. They actually let you go in. Uh, 
think it's one night a year you can sign up to go in and you know check it out and take pictures and all that but you you've actually had several um we'll say paranormal experiences uh that being one um so i mean would you consider yourself somebody that's uh not a medium or such, but I mean, would you consider yourself to be sensitive to where you think you just pick up on a lot of this stuff or this stuff presents itself to you because you're open to it? Well, no, not at all. Uh, like I've had, you know, a couple experiences, the one I just told you about. The other one, I wouldn't say I'm sensitive because uh, he kind of pissed everybody in the house off because <laughs> cause every night, you know, turn the water on, water would come on. You'd have to turn the water off in the, be- in the bathroom every morning and, uh, you know, Every night, there's running up and down the stairs, and you, it, it literally went on for so many years. Uh, we, you got used to it. You got used to it. You get used to that water bill? <laughs> well, fortunately, I was young enough where I didn't have to worry about that. <laughs> you get that shit like my dad all the time. Yeah. Like, shut that damn door. We're not trying to air condition yeah. the neighborhood. Yeah. yeah, see, that's the thing about it is, yeah, I'll get in trouble. He's like, Rick, go turn the damn water off. <laughs> wasn't me yeah you've looked at me i don't shower <laughs> yeah i mean i grew up in a, i had a house like that it was it was uh definitely haunted i mean you know they say you're supposed to burn sage and try to uh get rid of ghosts that's the way to cleanse the house is to burn sage and i remember one time we had activity and i didn't have uh, any sage but i did have some stovetop stuffing yeah. and stage sage in it, yeah, so I was gonna I, say yeah sage weed you know yeah, whatever so I, I cooked that you know it didn't really solve the ghost problem but i was no longer hungry so i, was, <laughs> oh, I had uh i had an experience with a you know i thought it was a ghost because every night i would feel somebody tickle my ass with a feather and then i would wake up and smell like you know the the like eggs in there because you know that smell of eggs but it turned out it was a poultry geist <laughs> so what about what about like you say your dad's had experiences and stuff too or or he just he's he believes in the stuff has he had experiences um yes he's he's told me stories before um I can't remember any off top top of my head, but so so when the situation with like with the water running and all that stuff, I mean, was he, you know, you said that like he would be like, you know, turn the water. So did he ever come to grips with that? He thought that was something behind that, or just that? No, absolutely. I mean, there was no ever, other explanation for it. You know, everybody knew. I've had friends who stayed the night and they experienced it. My wife, when I first met my wife, and you know, we stayed there. She experienced it and got used to it. And it really used to wake her out at first, but she got used to it. And I mean, it was just one of those things. You know, I'm sure there's people all over that you know just get used to stuff like that. You know, they had no choice really. <laughs> it's move out or deal with it. What's well, funny? You see all these haunted house. Uh, like the, on these TV shows and stuff, and people are like, well, why don't you just move out? Why don't you just move out? Now, I grew up poor. You know, my ass couldn't just move out of a house. My family couldn't move. We just had to deal with the shit. I, you know what? That's funny. Me and my wife had the same conversation. You know, they're, they're like, well, we're just going to put it on the market. No, there's no market. Dodge the books. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I bought this house for this amount, and it's worth 20000 less right now because, you know, the market's down, and, you know, we got every penny tied up in this house. We ain't going nowhere. You just have learned to deal with a damn ghost. <laughs> right. Absolutely. Did you see uh, Bobby Brown did an um, uh, interview sitting, I don't know, a month or so ago, 
And uh, he said that in this book that he just wrote that he had sex with a ghost. Did you see that? <laughs> I did not. Get out of here. I think he was just high. That's what I think. <laughs> Probably. I mean, I never had sex with no ghost. And trust me, I mean, I didn't have sex with my poultry guy. I didn't get a reach around. Not even, <laughs> I mean, not, not even a hand job. I mean, give me something. <laughs> I mean, sure, it gave good beak, but you know. <laughs> Well, I guess uh, I guess we're at the point where I got to tell my story, and, and I thought about this long and hard because I've got actually a bunch of stories. Um, I used to uh, do a little bit of work with the little ghost hunters, so I've been, you know, and spent the night in Waverly and um, been to Bobby Mackey's and 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 just love that kind of stuff. Have forever, but you know, I grew up in a haunted house, so from the time that I was 13 years old, there was all kinds of of occurrences and things that went into, and that's that's probably something we'll talk about at a later time, because if I had to narrow it down to one story, um, we'd be here for three days. Probably. <laughs> but, if I, but I've got one story that I've told very few people, probably less than 10 people. Um, it happened about I'm going to say between 9 and 10 years ago. You would think something this important, I would actually know the date, but I don't. It was in the wintertime, so we'll leave it at that. It was cold. It was cold. <laughs> so here's the situation. Most people know I'm a comedian. I was doing a show at a little hole-in-the-wall bar. I mean, this was one of those bars that if you walk in and took three steps, you're at the back of it. I mean, it was literally <laughs> a small bar. It had a little drop-down room where they would do karaoke, that kind of stuff. And we were going to do a show that night. Now, back then, this was when I was first starting out. Uh, my mom had passed away in December. Uh, luckily, I had started in June. She'd seen me perform, but she'd only been, you know, it'd only been about six months from the time I started to when she passed away. Right. My mom and I didn't have the greatest of relationships at the end. Um, you know, we just typical, sometimes, you know, rebellious son, you know, not always agreeing with mom or dad and, right. and you know, the fights and stuff and ensues. So, you know, I went over to the house and, you know, I would talk to him and stuff, but I'll be honest, there were times where she'd phone, you know, would ring and I'd see it was her and I wouldn't answer the phone and stuff. And, you know, those things you regret uh, down the line. But, you know, so we get this, we get this show and she passed away in December. It's, it's probably around February because it's about two or three months. I'm in there. It's about two hours before the show. I'm just killing time. There's nobody in the bar. This biker, typical, stereotypical biker, and his and his woman come in. They're probably late forties. You know, he's got the the long beard and the chaps <laughs> and all that stuff. She's dressed the same way, and we just start bullshitting around. And uh, the ladies, you know, she's. I'm like, yeah, hey, y'all got to stay for the show, and they're like, what show? They had no clue. And then, of course, they find out I'm a comedian, and like everybody else, they want to start telling you jokes and what have you. And uh, I'm like, okay, you know, so I'm listening to the jokes. Well, a few minutes later, I kind of make my way to the lower level of this place, little drop-down room where they're going to do the show. And I'm just kind of going over my notes, what I want to try to do. And uh, they come in there and sit down. Well, I kind of felt obligated since they're sitting down, and I'm in there by myself to go over and talk to them. Right. So I go over, and I'm just shooting the breeze, nothing... Nothing of any importance. I can't even remember what we're talking about. All of a sudden, these people who don't know me, the guy makes a makes a kind of a joke, as I thought. He the same said, bikers. Yeah, the same ones. Uh-huh. The, the guy makes a joke, something about, um, hey, your mom just wants you to know everything's okay. Well, I'm thinking, he's trying to make a joke. I don't really know what the joke he's is. He's funny. Yeah, but I laugh it off because he has no clue. Right. He don't know who I am. Right. And then I laughed it off. Well, the, the lady reached around and she put her hand on my hand and she says, no, we're serious. Your mom wants you to know that everything's going to be okay. Oh, well, you wow. could imagine at this point, wow. I'm just goosebumps. I mean, goosebumps, mouth just drops. Wow. And 
I looked at them and I felt the need to just keep talking. I'm like, well, you know, we, we didn't have the greatest relationship at the end. And, and I'm telling her some stuff. And, and, you know, and they're just holding the conversation. Well, I mean, she, you know, she understands that things weren't great, but she just wants you to know that, that, you know, all is forgiven, that that's, it's not an issue anymore. And, and she thinks that you should be doing better things than being at places like this. Now, these are people who didn't even know there was a show going on. But now all of a sudden they've got all this information. And I can't tell you how I felt. There was a range of emotions of, you know, happiness that, hey, this if somebody wants proof that there's an afterlife, Absolutely. I've got proof. Will anybody believe me? No, probably not. Right. But I know. Exactly. I know that there's proof. Exactly. And, and that gave me a feeling. Just like I know what I saw that night. Absolutely. Yeah. So that gave me the feeling of, oh, my God, right. you know. Absolutely. Uh, you know, there's positives to it. I mean, because you, you feel like, my God, my mom's there. She's watching over well, me. Well, that's, that's the kind of experience right there that no doubt tells you that there's something, you know, more. Absolutely. You know. I mean, the negatives are, I mean, if I were to jerk off or something, she's watching that, too. I yeah, mean, that's, that's, that's a bad thing. That's a bad thing. At least you want to deal with it until you die. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> but, I mean, that's, that's something that, that I will be honest. That was, like I said, it was like nine years ago, and that's affected me for the rest of my Absolutely. life. and it will. And, and it's, you know, like I said, I told my dad and I told my sisters because I felt like they needed to hear yeah. oh, what yeah. was being said. And I was, you know, like I said, I, I've had a lot of experiences that were more along the traditional things, but that's, I haven't really heard a lot of stories that people had of something like that happening. Yeah, and that uh, was your, that was your mom speaking to you from beyond, which is that the same thing. And that was, you know, that was one time. And then there was another time where, where she kind of spoke to, uh, we'll bring this up just because, uh, tomorrow is my birthday. And this actually is a story about that. Well, happy early birthday, Jerry. Thank you, sir. I appreciate it. I didn't have another notice a gift when you walked in. Though, but, um, My presents. So, <laughs> I didn't see any presents, once again. So, so anyway, so, I've, I'm, you know, this is the first birthday after my mom passed. She passed in December. This was August. My mom always called me at the time I was born, which I believe was like 3 o'clock or something. But she always called me around that time. That was just her thing. Right. So, the first birthday... Afterwards, you know, I had a friend of mine that said, Hey, won't you meet me somewhere that was at Myers uh, grocery store because he wanted me to give him some software, and that's where we met. So I get out, I get out there, and I'm, I'm, I'm done I'm with him. I get on the phone with somebody, I don't even remember who I'm talking to. And you know how sometimes you're on the phone and you just don't pay attention and you're just driving. So I'm driving, and next thing I know, I'm pulling up to my dad's house, and I'm like, What the hell am I doing at my dad's house? So, and I'm thinking nothing up. Well, then I, I had this feeling man I just in the bottom of my stomach it just felt so bad and I really felt like there was something wrong with my dad and that's why I'm there something's wrong with my dad I had a girlfriend at the time she was very sensitive she was a member of the Louisville Ghost Hunter Society yeah (laughs) not that kind of sensitive but but she was uh she was really somebody that I connected with emotionally right and just in a way I've never connected with anybody and so I'm there in this parking lot. She'd already told me she couldn't go out with me for my birthday because she had something else going on. I call her and I'm like, hey, I'm at this house. I'm at my dad's house and I feel like something's going on. And she tells me, I know I'm on my way. Oh, wow. I mean, without me, she already was on her way. Yeah. She shows up. We sit there and we talk. And she's sitting there watching. And my dad's got this little dog and sits in a recliner with him, you know. And he's sitting there and the dog's looking around and all this stuff. And when it's all said and done, we leave, right? And I'm talking to her on the computer. And I'm like, I just don't understand 
you know, because I just had this worst feeling about my dad. And then, you know, in the, in the midst of the conversation, I said, you know, I really wish you could have met my mom. And she says, well, I think I did meet her tonight. Oh, wow. I know. And then and she's like, did you notice the dog? Every time he looks up, that's what he's looking at. She says, you know, your mom is around your dad all the time. She's just always right there. Yeah. I do believe that animals have a higher sense. They do. I, there's no doubt about that. Right. But the key to this whole thing is what I didn't realize is that time that I drove to the house was about the same time of my birth date. So even though my mom would normally call me on my birth date and at about the time, something something yeah. drove me to that house and there she was. So it was almost in a sense like she was still able to contact me at that same time on yeah. my birthday. Absolutely. Telling you happy birthday. So That's awesome. I thought that was really cool. Um I don't know how you felt, but I felt like that this podcast has actually went pretty good because, believe it or not, 20 minutes has flown by and we're right at the end. Wow. Well, absolutely. So, I mean, you got anything you want to end on before we uh, kind of talk about next week's show? Well, yeah. Um, I think I think we're going to have a great podcast. Um, I hope you tell your friends, like Jerry said, uh, just listen to us every week. It'll get better. We'll tell the stories. And just remember... Um, a ghost could be humping you right now, and you would never know it. Absolutely. You would never know. But Bobby Brown can give you some tips on his Wikipedia page. Go check him out. <laughs> Guys, we appreciate it. We, and like Ricky said, we're going to get better at this. This is the first one. Uh, we've not done this before. Our chemistry will get better, and, and the stories will get better. Normally, we're going to have a, a, a story that we're going to focus on. I mean, so it's going to be a little different, but we kind of felt like we needed to get this out of the way so you're dealing with us and, and as we have more time we'll throw some stories in and some other things because like i said i've got plenty from a haunted house we grew up in ricky's got tons of other stories uh, we can have a lot of fun if you have any stories that you'd like for us to talk about uh i had diane robbins actually sent us about the greenbrier uh ghost from west virginia it's an awesome story and we're probably going to do that in the next couple of episodes uh, but if you've got a story you want to hear about or you think is unique that maybe a lot of people don't know the history behind, get on our Facebook page and send it to us, and we'll do the research on it, and, and we'll have fun with it. Absolutely. Have a good night, people. All right. Peace out, peeps. They would like to thank you folks for kindly dropping in. You're all invited back next week to this locality to have a heaping helping of their hospitality. Hillbilly, that is. Y'all come back now, here.